Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Um, we're here to help um, private, public, and nonprofit organizations get broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Um, one of the things that uh, happens in a lot of discussion uh, regarding broadband is that people will talk about the rural areas. They don't talk about some of the needs of, for broadband in the uh, urban areas. And in reality, uh, you can have as many as uh, 20-30% of urban cities that people don't have uh, effective or uh, affordable broadband. Um, and so now we've got to really figure out how are we going to get these folks online. Uh, two weeks ago, I released a report, um, a broadband community uh, snapshot report, that addresses the urban issues uh, when it comes to broadband. And a decent uh, section of that um, report uh, addresses digital inclusion. And so uh, today I've got two folks, uh, Bridget Daniel, who is the Executive Vice President at Wilco Electronics System uh, in Philadelphia, and Bruce Montgomery, who is the CEO of a Chicago-based organization called uh, Technology Access Television. And I want to thank both of you for being on the show today. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you very much. Not a problem, not a problem. Now, both of you have been very much involved with uh, digital inclusion efforts, um, and, and, and you both have a lot of good uh, insights. I, I want to start with just a starting with the, you, Bridget. What does your company do, and how does it impact or interact with these issues related to digital inclusion? And then, Bruce, I'll ask you the same question. Sure. Well, again, thank you, Craig, for the invitation. Always good to be able to talk about this topic and hear uh, what's going on across the country. In Philadelphia, we'll call electronic systems. We are a private cable company. Uh, we are actually a family-owned uh, African-American cable company, one of the last in the country, and we provide telecom and cable and Internet services to public housing uh, specifically the Philadelphia Public Housing Authority here in our city. And we've been in business for over three decades. My father, Will Daniel, started the company, and I came on board in 2006 to continue our legacy of being a community provider and particularly bridging the gaps not only in Internet but also just in cable services and telecom services. You know, in urban mm-hmm. America... And we'll probably get into this more in the, you know, the discussion, but urban America, um, urban communities, I think a lot of, uh, of society thinks that we're already served. Or there's a misnomer that, you know, there, there's access everywhere in large cities. And that is not really true. Particularly in Philadelphia, we have a 40% um, you know, disparity in the digital divide. And 40% of people don't have access to the Internet. And this is 2016. So Wilco has historically been that bridger, um, that platform, that provider to um, just get access where access is not given, um, you know, provide the best to those who have the least, and be a voice as well as a distribution outlet um, for access and content and a true addressing of the needs of the underserved, which in Philadelphia is low-income communities, which are mostly communities of color. Gotcha. Um, Bruce, now you've actually been on the show before, but give me a little, or give the audience a little overview of what uh, your company's doing. Okay. Um, uh, Craig, uh, yes, we have talked before. Uh, I've been involved in 
many aspects of uh, the technology and broadband area over my uh, professional career. Uh, my company, Technology Access Television, was actually started uh, 16 years ago as a uh, public cable television show here in Chicago to really focus on uh, letting a broad range of uh, consumers and viewers understand how technology and a range of technologies would be impacting uh, their communities, their lives, their families, and education and business and healthcare in so many areas. So for the last 16 years, I produced a weekly uh, TV show, half-hour type uh, interview format show, where I've really exposed uh, a lot going on in the technology arena, but made it uh, easy for people to understand that technology was both an option and an opportunity that could be of benefit to people, no matter what their walk of life or background or industry or vocation would happen to be. And I've been an advocate for uh, making technology available and accessible and affordable. Uh, and I believe that, again, uh, over these uh, 16 years that I've been doing the show and uh, 30 years that I've been in the computer software telecommunications industry, uh, technology has gotten uh, more pervasive, more available, more uh, intrusive into all aspects of our lives. And, and I believe that many of the barriers and challenges ha have been um, dissipated, uh, but they've created new challenges. Uh, you know, when, when I started uh, you know, in my career in the computer business, uh, computers were, you know, ridiculously expensive. They were very uh, unwieldy. Uh, they were geared towards enterprises and government. And, and, of course, over that time, we've seen the advent of all types of uh, technologies, whether it's mobile, whether it's um, uh, PCs and tablets, uh, software and cloud. All of these things have been invented and reinvented in ways that have made, again, technology more opportunistic than it's ever been. And, and I believe that that's what this conversation is all about, is leveraging where you know, we, we can't get too hung up on what's happened. I think we've got to get uh, excited about what is and figure out how we can leverage what's going on right now to meet the challenges that our communities are most concerned about. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, Bridget, you mentioned that um, 40% of the population in Philadelphia doesn't have uh, access to broadband. Um, can you explain how in this day and age um, that is, is possible? And then I'm going to also want to ask Bruce the same question, actually. But let, let's, let's start with you, Bridget. Sure. Well, I think in Philadelphia, you know, we have um, a lot of poverty. Um, you know, we are one of the largest cities in the country, but we're also one of the poorest cities in the, in the country, meaning that there's a, a significant amount of communities that are um, surviving at a very base median household income, and that's probably under $25,000 per family. So that's a lot of poverty. And so when you have that type of situation or circumstance occurring in the city, then that's immediately going to also affect the broadband um, uptake and who has access to it and who, has, who doesn't. And, you know, I think, you know, Bruce mentioned, and we also are very much into being an affordable provider, but I think affordability is the reason why you may have 40% of people not having access to Internet. You know, our main provider here in the city um, is Comcast, and Comcast has great options um, and a lot of different products, but they are pricey. So if you don't, you know, if you don't have the money to afford it, then you're not accessing it through Comcast. Um, there also is um, a issue of relevancy. A lot sometimes there are situations that people just don't think that the internet is relevant to you know what their needs are as a, as a household or a family. Um, so there's that component to it. Also, there's even digital literacy. Um, just because people may have access to it um, or may have an, an affordable option to it, they may not really know what to use it. So if you don't have a purpose, a lot of times that yields into people just not taking it up or not ordering and not purchasing it as much. So 
So I think that's, the, you know, the question that, you know, we've been working on for a very long time. I think the whole country is trying to work on this issue. How, why is there a digital divide at this point in time, and how do we address it? And I think it's very um, multi-layered. It's affordability, so it's, it's service, you know, who has it, who doesn't, um, where it's located, you know, how many times people can use it, um, if they can, again, afford it, and if they think that it's even worth it to even purchase. And putting all those things together mixed with, you know, a, a large poverty, um, you know, communities that are pretty much spread up throughout the city, that's how you're going to reach 40% of people do not have access to broadband in Philadelphia. Okay. So now, Bruce, you know, we've, we've obviously we talked before, and we talked for the um, the report. Um, what's your take on it? Why, why now do you, how do, do the numbers relate in terms of, and in Chicago, uh, are there, are they have similar uh, numbers of people being are unconnected? Uh, yes. In fact, uh, it was a, a large study that was done and, I think I think Bridget hit the nail right on the head, and that is we we're in a, uh, a duopoly type environment where the the two big players Comcast and AT and T uh, they they really focus more on uh, their entertainment products. They're really interested in uh, their their TV network and their entertainment channels. Uh, Uverse is really focused on uh, you know their whole uh, uh, entertainment. Scenario. All of them want to get involved in these triple plays and things like that. And when you talk about uh, some of the pricing of these services, they're just out of line for uh, mm-hmm. poor and low-income communities. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's really uh, ridiculous that we're sitting here in 2016. And you know, I, I do a lot of work in urban Chicago. Uh, I operate out of uh, many of, of the communities such as uh, Inglewood and Woodlawn and uh, Lawndale and Garfield Park on the south and west sides of the city. And, and it, it really is a, a, a tale of two cities that, that in, in many respects, uh, some of the, the city has a lot of options and uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, places where Wi-Fi is broadly available for free in places like uh, incubators and accelerators and tech parks and universities and things like that. But when you get into the real heart of the inner city, uh, if, if it wasn't for the public libraries in Chicago um, mm-hmm. and, 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 a, and a Starbucks every 10 miles, uh, it, it, would be, it would be a very different story. So it's, it's unconscionable that places like um, uh, uh, schools and, and, and uh public transit and, and many other areas that should be lit up and have areas where accessible Wi-Fi is available. And, and again, not even to mention that, that why can't there be even more efforts to put affordable broadband in homes uh, so that, uh, you know, when we look at what's going on in our education environment, uh, there, there is really a terrible disparity. Uh, I, I go into a lot of our schools and the, the state of uh, technology infrastructure in public schools is abysmal. And, of course, all of us hear of the budget challenges that places like Philadelphia and Chicago and these big school systems have. And instead of where you would think we would be in 2016, we're really going in the opposite direction. Uh, students, in many cases, are, are have little time in their studies to get real fundamental uh, skills that are needed in today's uh, digital economy. And so I think it is a matter of both uh, education, but it's also a matter of um, a very little leadership that is uh, forcing uh, opportunities for there to be uh, competitive uh, and comprehensive services that are affordable. Uh, and, and even though uh, uh, mobile broadband has been a godsend, in many ways to giving uh, access we, we know is so amazing today to see uh, middle school uh, children and even younger have uh, the most uh, up-to-date mobile uh, devices. But what we see is that they're not really skilled in using them or, uh, as effectively to navigate uh, the appropriate information that could serve as a catalyst for 
the attainment of goals and allowing them to make progress uh, towards uh, economic um, parity that is so much needed uh, in terms of jobs, economics, and education. So, um, Bridget, from your perspective, um, what is the solution right now? And I, I, I asked you first, and since because you're in the cable business, and um, I think there is a perception that we have plenty of competition and the competition is supposed to be great and so forth and so on. What's the reality and what's the, um, how do we, how do we bridge this? I mean, it's a, 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 the, the, the longer term answer is sort of the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated. Well, that's fine. True. But, you know, but what are we what are we what are we dealing with, and how should we deal with it? Do you think? Uh, I think you know it's one of those kind of um, issues where it's not one solution. You you know you can't address it by doing one thing. It's you know a lot of it's going to be really socially addressed because again, you're talking about. A lot of it talking about poverty, right? And I think the big issue with broadband, one of the biggest is affordability, but then there are programs where it is affordable, right? And then you also have you know, mobile broadband, which is, is an a actual access and entry point for many who can't afford a wired option. But then the mobile broadband Internet um, or just a feasibility and accessibility is even limited with what you can do or how you can use it. You can't type a term paper, blah, 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 all those types of, you know, circumstances. So I think what has least been successful and what is a, a, a solid um, answer, I don't think there's really a solution per se, Craig, but there's ways to address it, I think, one of those is going to be, you know, private-public private partnerships. I think this is one of those issues that it's going to take a village when you're talking about, you know, looking at broadband adoption. Um, I think when you get corporate, when you get academic institutions, when you get private entities and nonprofits together to address this issue um, that resides in communities, um, and you can even throw in some social service organizations that might be a multifaceted approach to addressing the digital divide. Um, it's not going to be one entity. It's not going to be one solution. It's going to be a multiple, you know, um, array of partners and a really very focused approach to addressing a lot of different circumstances because it's something that we've seen and it's been around for since the advent of the Internet. So that's, what, over at least 20 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And since the Internet has been in existence, we've always had a digital divide. Now, something that I think we should have to um, be wary of is that there will be different divides that are going to happen now. So now that a lot of people are getting more connected and it's not as bad as it was, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it's going to be speed. Who doesn't have the right speed? Who doesn't have the right access to the content? What kind of content are people getting that other people aren't getting? I mean, that's maybe a whole other, you know, talk radio you know, show at that point. But <laughs> we have to be careful that we're not um, – we have to be careful that we're at least tackling this as much as we can because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. I know Bruce, you know, definitely can probably even talk to this. We don't know what kind of new speeds and technologies are going to come out in the next five to ten years. But if we don't address this right now – we're going to continually have divides, but I do think at least a a answer, a response, a a way to address it is we have to work together as cities. The only way to address cities is to really get hyper local with communities, and that mm -hmm. means government, academics, corporate, you know, nonprofit, social service. We are all going to have to work together. Foundations. We're all going to have to have a very committed. Um, you know, just approach to figuring out how to address the different communities that are are, are now being plagued by this lack of access. Mm -hmm. So, um, Bruce, I'd like to ask a question. Uh, also, you know, because you know, besides your work um, there in Chicago, but I think you also have a lot of expertise 
dealing with different um the uh, B top uh number one. Um but in January I think it was a report from the FCC said that um there was I don't know, forty you know, twenty five, thirty five um uh percent of rural areas don't have broadband. Yet the same report says that uh, only 4% of um, urban areas don't have access to broadband. And given that people often cite the study for why they could go and why they need to go into urban areas, I'm sorry, into rural areas, um, what happens when people say, well, there's no need to be in um, in the, the urban areas because, look, right here, the said is they only need, you know, they only have 44, I'm sorry, 4%, um, you know, not connected. Um, how do we get that kind of um, disjointed um, reporting, I guess? Well, I, I I agree again that we've got to be very careful, and I think um, again Bridget talked uh, the, the how how solutions are in the real world formulated, and that is through uh, effective collaboration at the community mm-hmm. level. And um, you know, I, I I know just like in Philadelphia here in Chicago, if you're a student at at, at Drexel University or Penn. Um, and or at the University of Chicago uh, or the University of Illinois Chicago, and literally everywhere you go on campus is is fiber and wireless, and you have your student ID card, and you you can log on to networks, and whether you're in the uh, dormitories or you're out eating or wherever, it's like wherever you are is broadband everywhere, and so but you can walk right across the street or literally be on the same street. But if you're not somebody with a university ID card, well, you might as well be in Botswana for your ability to connect to all of this robust infrastructure. So, again, this is the, the, the challenge that we have. And I think we've got to be extremely uh, suspicious of these so-called studies and reports. Because, Craig, as you know, uh, the whole definition of broadband is specious to begin with. Um, you know, some of the numbers are appallingly low about what is being passed off as broadband in these reports. And, and, and what I say all the time, since I've been involved uh, as a content producer, I'm not just interested in a fast download speed, because when I uh, produce uh, a video or audio content and I want to get it up to the Internet, put it on uh, YouTube or Vimeo or my own website or blog, uh, I'm concerned about upload speed. And so I just don't want a, a company or a vendor or a solution that says, hey, look, I can give you X amount of uh, uh, megabytes of download speed. Uh, you should be happy. That means you could just, uh, you know, surf the Internet all day long. Well, I'm not interested in surfing all day long. I'm interested uh-huh. in publishing the content that I produce. So I'm looking for a robust, uh, symmetrical service that, that, that is going to give me uh, a very high-speed uploading capability because I've got something to say. And, and I think this is really where the rubber meets the road, uh, and we've got to become, as a community, uh, defining what's a solution for us, not, not allowing uh, governmental or regulatory bodies to de- define those solutions. And so uh, we've got to uh, approach it from a real uh, entrepreneurial and, and, and a, 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 a creative standpoint. And I think if we look at cooperative economics, if we look at some uh, revenue-generating models, I think we can figure this out very easily. Because, again, the, the kinds of technologies uh, that have uh, – the prices have come down so much that it's a combination of uh, fiber-based infrastructure that we need to be – getting our hands on as uh, a range of community-based organizations. There are many organizations that can more than afford to bring in 
very high performance uh, connectivity. Now the issue is, are they doing it? And once they do that, what are they doing with it? So then, uh, you know, I think we've got in our community uh, many, many, many of the keys to the kingdom that are already in our hands. It's just a matter of coming into a new level of awareness and consciousness that we can, in fact, leverage these technologies in ways to create economic opportunity. If, look, look at the situation with, you know, President Obama. When he came into office, if you look at a chart about the use of uh, some of these technologies, uh, they, they were so, so insignificant. I mean, the number of people on uh, Facebook or LinkedIn or uh, some of these tools, Instagram, Snapchat, they weren't even invented. They weren't even out. And, and, and yet in, in this brief time, just during the presidency of Barack Obama, uh, billions and, and, and billions of dollars of uh, economic activity, many times on the backs of things that we uh, uh, started to do. You know, when you look at, uh, the, you know, what, what's been driven by, uh, you know, things on the back of hip hop and the music and uh, video content. And even when we talk about, like today, the, the, the most crucial subject of today, uh, public safety and gun violence and all of this. Well, the whole reason we're having the level of conversation we're having right now in America is because people in communities are using the devices that they have to take videos, to post videos, to share content, to call for the question. And this very use is enabling people to fight back. You know, a lot of people say, I think Will Smith said the other day, he said, look, it's not, a, it's not that racism has come and gone. It's just, it's just being videotaped by people with iPhones. Uh, you know. Okay. Uh, let me let yeah. here for a second, Bruce. Um, we've got two callers on the line. I want to see if I can get connected to both of them. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Greetings in the name of the Father. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Greetings in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My name is Pastor Don Jr., CEO. I'm calling from sunny Las Vegas with the Entertainment Worldwide Network's winning team, and I love the camaraderie throughout this topic because y'all were saying some real key intricate stuff. I've been uh, uh, in the viral marketing industry for over 18 years and after being in it for 18 years I've seen a lot of changes and we walk out of houses instead of people looking at each other saying hi hello we are all wrapped up in our cell phones so we're utilizing these great technologies we're putting the word out so more people can come into the show and I, I really want to be a fly on the wall but if y'all need anything, my name is Pastor Don Jr., CEO. My line is open. I got 300 of my members coming in to impart on a conversation and to make this thing go across the globe. All righty. Well, thank you for that. And I got another one call in here. Let's see if I can get in touch with them. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Are we still in line? Hello, someone from the – Hello? I guess they're not. Okay. So um, let me ask Bridget. I wanted to make sure we get back here to the issue of uh, – I'm sorry? Bridget, Bridget, are you still there? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how do you guys, Philly, how are you attacking – the digital um, the divide there? Uh, well, we were, you know, fortunate to, you know, receive funding from the Broadband Technology Opportunities Program, which was the BTOP program under President Obama, um, and that was issued out during his uh, first term under the American Recovery Act, the stimulus program. And we were able to create a coalition, uh, collaborative of uh, the city of Philadelphia's technology department, uh, Drexel University, Wilco Electronic Systems, uh, my company, and also the Urban Affairs Coalition. And through that cohort, we were able to secure around $20.8 million of funding that went to 
offering digital literacy programs all around the country, I mean, sorry, the, the city. Um, we were able to um, also, you know, have the community college of Philadelphia provide um, support and um, classes around learning how to use the Internet. Um, we also were able to deploy through our partnership we had with Drexel and the Philadelphia Housing Authority, we were able to deploy 5,000 netbooks that went to public housing residents. Um, and then we were also able to, you know, have a partnership that we created with the Urban Affairs Coalition and uh, Sprint, or I should say Clear Wireless at the time, uh, which is now Sprint, uh, to provide low-cost Internet options of, uh, let's see, it was about $14.99 a month. So what we did was we tackled it in, in a very um, holistic, very 360 um, type of, of way, meaning we attacked the access, which is the Internet, we tackled the classes and the literacy, which would, you know, help with the relevancy and the ability to use the Internet properly and efficiently um, issue. And we also were able to, you know, address the affordability issue of having low-cost wireless Internet. Um, now, it wasn't perfect. It was great, but it wasn't perfect. There were still, you know, people that weren't able to use it or there were still holes that we could not plug. But it was one of probably the most comprehensive collaborative um, you know, partnerships we've ever seen in the city around this issue, specifically mm -hmm. for broadband access. Now, since then, there are iterations between, you know, Comcast and Essentials Program and other programs that have since come out of uh, that broadband, you know, detop time. Uh, but I will say um, right now, you know, Philadelphia is moving toward an issue of um, coding and getting skills into the hands and exposure to communities that need those type of tech skills to be able to participate in the global economy. That may not be the digital divide, but it is a form of a divide, of course. Mm -hmm. And we're mm -hmm. all talking about, you know, just parity and not having divisions within tech and access. But uh, to answer your, you know, your question specifically, yes, and we have done large partnerships through BTOP. We still have a long ways to go to, you know, chip at that block of, of just, you know, the divide that's here, but the more um, that we see these types of collaboratives, whether it's here or, or you know, or booths in Chicago or wherever, you are going to, you know, have more reverberations around the country of the type of um, access that's now being bridged. And every city is different. Every city is going to need their own solution, but this one's happen to be, you know, somewhat successful for us. And I think we're probably going to continue to see different ways that how we can build off that, leverage that, and then continue with programs and partnerships that will um, address this issue in a very full, comprehensive, and holistic manner. Gotcha. Um, I've got two more callers on the line. Let me see if I can uh, wrap them in. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Is there someone from the 754 area code? Maybe not. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation. Hello. Hi, this is Lucky Lopez, DLA, calling in with the winning team, Don Jr. How are you guys doing today? Fine, thank you. You're with who? Don Jr. in the winning team. Okay. Yeah, I'm just calling yeah. and just tuning into the show. So, what's going on? Can you put me up to date? Ah, uh, hold hold on one second. Um, uh, Bridget, I wanted to follow up thing here. Um, in a number of interviews I've had uh, in the last couple of months, there seems to be a sense that, um there are people from the state level and people from the, uh, the federal level that are bringing in programs. Um, should there be a greater emphasis on the um, community itself, both um, starting, originating, uh, and participating in the planning of these type of digital inclusion projects 
so that you, in the, in the end, get a better result. And I will ask Bruce, I will ask you the same question after uh, Bridget goes. So, can you just repeat that again, Craig? So, are you saying you're asking where in other parts of the country have we seen similar results like we've seen in Philadelphia? No, no, no. It's, it's more that the um, people I've talked to have said that you have a lot of, uh, from the top down, meaning from Washington or from their states, people coming in saying, these are how we should attract uh, digital inclusion, which I'm mm-hmm. which are well-intended and so forth. Yeah. But there's another thought that says, you know, these things need to be driven more from the local area as opposed to the top down. And if you're going to have mm-hmm. a grant program – you know, mm-hmm. uh, within the parameters of, you know, fiscal accounting and so forth, you will uh, make sure that the money is, is spent uh, appropriately, but actually have the community itself design and implement the various programs for digital inclusion. I just want to know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, you know, I, so I definitely can agree that when you have communities involved in the process and in the solution and in the response, you're absolutely going to have more participation. I mean, that just kind of goes without saying. I mean, anyone that's involved in their own freedom and revolution, they're going to be a part of it and in it, and they're going to, you know, spread that message to others in a way that's organic and, and very efficient and also very impactful. But I do think that, there should always be the help of government and or higher um, corporate entities that can one afford, have the commitment, and also have a mandate or encourage a mandate for cities to galvanize around these community grassroots initiatives, right? You know, so the you know the FCC just recently, I don't know if that was about six months ago or even eight months ago, they you know issued legislation to change their lifeline program. So Lifeline was a program that allowed, you know, service and, and subsidy to families for phone service. They just revised that legislation to now have subsidy for broadband access, which is a huge jump. You know, that's like a 30-year-old issue that they just kind of gradually through, you know, policy and legislation and lobbying, you know, had a real issue that they needed to, you know, look at, and they, they addressed it in the way that they could, which was, well, let's you know, we had a program that we've been using for, you know, over decades that now needs to be upgraded. It needs to be, you know, updated, and it needs to be more relevant. So Lifeline, you know, changing that program to subsidize for broadband now can then trickle down to cities where they have communities that are going to gather around that new legislative change, and then they can add on and, and leverage that change to create more access for people who are in their communities. So I think, again, it's, it's, the community is, is, of course, going to be imperative. It's going to be, you know, necessary for that engagement and that um, one, that voice in that interaction. But it helps when you have, you know, places and people and spaces that are also working in their own way to either create the, de- you know, the distribution, create the method, um, create the, the legislation that can allow for communities to then, you know, be able to organize and to galvanize and then to spread the word so that it's all kind of working in a wheel. It's turning, the wheel is turning, all the pegs are working in, the, in an orderly fashion. Everyone has the same focus, the same message, and the wheel is turning. And I think that's what we're going to have to just see more of. So I love the communities that are totally in this, but it it definitely doesn't hurt to have a Google put out their fiber, you know, gig network for affordable and the rule doesn't definitely doesn't hurt to have the FCC change their legislation. It doesn't hurt to have a Comcast put out their internet essentials. It doesn't hurt to have a Wilco in the city of Philadelphia offering, you know, tools like laptops and netbooks. Like all those things work together. They may not work in tandem, but they do work together for the greater good of addressing the digital divide. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce, what 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 are your, some of your thoughts? Well, um, I think Bridget described um, uh, uh, you know one of the best examples in the country that that she was able to be involved with. that was a result of uh, 
um, the, the president's uh, stimulus effort uh, during the Recovery Act. Um, the BTOP funding allowed for there to be some capital available for these types of demonstration initiatives. And these are the kinds of questions we need to be asking now, you know, with all of the attention that just left Philadelphia uh, for mm-hmm. the Democratic National Convention and, and prior to Republican Convention, there's almost no conversation, meaningful conversation, around these very important uh, policy issues. Uh, what kind of investments are we willing to make um, to, to advance these technologies being available um, democratically across the board? And, and is there a, a, a technology uh, platform that's a part uh, of uh, these various presidential you know, nominees? I, th- I think this is a really critical question. And so in many cases, uh, our communities get what they demand. Um, and, and we can go in our communities right now and see people making choices every day. And our communities are not uh, destitute. No matter what we talk about in terms of low income or moderate income, people have a way of getting their hands on things that they need to address the concerns they have uh, and they want addressed, um, whether it's transportation or whatever it is. And so I think that as more and more people, just like uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, it seems that uh, people younger and younger are getting their hands on mobile technology and somebody's getting it for them. Uh, who, who's getting a seven or eight or nine-year-old uh, a, a Galaxy Note 5 or an iPhone 6S? Somebody's making that economic decision. So we've got to be empowered to make better choices and better decisions about how we invest in the technologies and how we use those technologies to advance a sustainable opportunity. Because, again, just like in the programs Bridget mentioned, well, well in many cases, those were one-shot deals. Uh, mm-hmm. you were, you were able to uh, be successful at getting that Obama stimulus money, uh, but 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 that wasn't followed up. There, you know, the the uh, NTIA and the Commerce Department, and you know, the the, the standoff within the federal uh, government between the houses of Congress and the executive branch uh, did not want to continue to support these kinds of efforts. But but uh, but again, and and we as a community, we have to really stand up for fairness in this regard. We, we want to uh, support all of these media outlets. We want to race into uh, spending money willy-nilly, yet then we want to cry and say we don't have what we need, but, but we've got these things in excess that we are oversubscribing and overinvesting in. So I think that uh, there is a balance here that, that comes from both uh, programmatic efforts like, like BTOP and and state and county and city federal-based initiatives, but there are also private choices that we can make. And I see private choices and investments being made every day. Here in Chicago, uh, we just created a relationship. One of the uh, uh, great young artists that's come out of the community, a, a young man by the name of Lupe Fiasco, who's really an international yes. uh, music uh, star. Well, he's come back to Chicago and He's actually going to be involved with me in Inglewood, where he is willing to invest uh, and support entrepreneurs that are bringing new ideas to the table that can become scalable for-profit or non-profit businesses. And he's partnering with uh, a friend of his that he's made along the way at Google, uh, who's going to support the effort. They've rounded up some more uh, investors who want to put capital at the table. So a lot of these challenges can be started through relationships where people want to bring the idea of hands-on innovation and applied innovation to bear on challenges within the community like um, health and uh, safe uh, eating and drinking water, to get lead out of our drinking water in schools, to deal with uh, healthcare and, and, and healthcare disparities. And we've got some brilliant young minds in healthcare that are devising new techniques for leveraging broadband to address some of the most systemic health challenges in our community. So we need to be on the cutting edge because a lot of the capital that could be available in our communities for other purposes, well, they're going into things like uh, diabetes uh, medication, hypertension, uh, uh, cancer treatment, uh, other, you know, obesity and all these other areas. Uh, 
energy inefficiency uh, going up the smokestack because we're not having smart, green, and sustainable uh, energy management environment. So as we adopt the role of broadband as it applies to addressing some of these concerns, we will see that this actually frees up capital that doesn't have to go, you know, out the window or up the smokestack in the wintertime, but, but, or, or, or go to emergency uh, medical concerns because of the reduction in health disparities. We can reclaim some of that money that can then be reinvested in entrepreneurship and innovation and ownership. And just like, you know, it's what's so exciting about, um, you know, and it should not be missed, that what, what Bridget is saying is that she's in a second-generation uh, technology-based enterprise. You know, her family successfully started and scaled the business. Uh, then she comes in uh, as an heir and participant learning that business from her youngest days. And now she is at the pivotal area where she can now adopt some of these innovations and take the company in new directions. Uh, creating employment, creating wealth, creating ownership uh, within the community. That's when uh, it becomes all the difference in the world. We cannot just be customers. We must be producers and have some partnership of some piece of ownership of some of these solutions. And the whole thing, Craig, is that this bandwidth, the airwaves, well, this is public property. You know, this isn't the right of just some big entity to own we can use some of both uh, a licensed and unlicensed spectrum, which is our spectrum. I mean, those are the airwaves. That, that's for us to use. So that means that we can hoist up some of the antennas and uh, some of uh, connect these antennas to create uh, infrastructure in our communities. And fortunately, here in Chicago, we're seeing young uh, African-American entrepreneurs that know how to do this. That, 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 you know, come out of some of the, the, the top schools and know how to put together uh, mesh networks and, and backhaul wireless transmission. I wouldn't have the uh, broadband capacity in my organization today if it wasn't for the skills and the talents of some of these local African-American telecom and, and tech data uh, entrepreneurs uh, who understood how to uh, put some of this infrastructure in place. So I think, again, uh, it's really a question of self-determination, and I think we're seeing good signs uh, that, that we know what to do when we get our hands on the steering wheel, and then we must appropriate this technology in ways that will create sustainable economic and community benefit for the long haul, uh, addressing the major concerns uh, of, of economic parity and sustainability that would mm -hmm. uh, emanate some of the deficiencies that we have in other areas of our uh, community life. Right. So now, uh, Bridget, um, uh, in, in that same vein, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, Lifeline program uh, the FCC has, um, I have brought up this question a number of times, which is um, we need to get away from the subsidy thinking um, and they go to a ownership model. And what I mean for that is, like, in, in the case of um, Lifeline, it's, um, they're, they're still revising it, but basically it's, not, it's a $10 a month subsidy. Well, you can't get a whole lot for 10 bucks a month, even after they reform it, even if you look at Internet essentials and so forth. However, if I had a thousand people or ten thousand people in a in an area, and I took the ten dollars per month and aggregated for all of those ten thousand people, I could then develop an infrastructure. Am I thinking? Uh, you know, maybe it's wired, maybe it's fixed wireless, uh, maybe it's you know. Um, 25 or 35 megs symmetrical, right? But I can create that infrastructure and go about serving the community as opposed to doing this $10 a person subsidy. Am I wrong in that 
uh, thinking, do you think, uh, Bridget? Uh, I mean, I think there are ways for, um, you know, private entities to create a private kind of network where communities can access Internet in a very um, specific and um, closed-off, you know, neighborhood or area of a city. Um, You know, I think Bruce kind of hit on it when he talked about mesh networks. I mean, that's kind of what the purpose of mesh networks are. They cover, you know, a very um, select and specific area and, you know, maybe it's a radius of, I don't know, 20 miles or something or 10 miles. But just in that specific radius, you know, Internet access is deployed and it tapped into from the residents that live there. Those types of situations are very rare, though, right? We don't see them all that much. And in a city like Philadelphia, I think it would be very hard to do that. They, you know, it doesn't behoove corporations to see those types of, you know, community networks flourish. Um, there is the opportunity to do municipal networks, so government can definitely, I think, there's a play there for government to get in the um, the field of being an Internet provider, um, and they could, um, but every city is different. Every city has its own politics. Every city has its own culture. Every city has its own, um, you know, encumbrances and challenges and resources either to do that or not have the ability to do that. So I think it's not a bad way to look at it. Um, I think we can't really bang on the FCC but so much. They're not a, you know, an entity where they're going to give out money. And I think subsidies are subsidies. You know, people don't like them. Some people love them. I think that, you know, any kind of access or any type of money that can help get people access, I think we should applaud and just use it for what they are and take what we can and put that back into reinvesting in the community. It's only $10, right? But, you know, if the, if the normal bill is maybe $30, that means, you know, that, that someone's only paying, you know, maybe $20. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a big deal to some people. Um, I do think that, you know, subsidies can get a little bit tricky because the big thing about subsidies are, is, is it sustainable, right? Are people going to be able to use them if the subsidy no longer exist, are they going to still be able to have that same adoption of, you know, whether it's technology or or service? Um, So people go back and forth in that regard with it, but it's something. Again, going back to what I said at least earlier, it's not a one-approach situation. It's a Mm -hmm. multiple-approach situation to a multi-layered problem. So we can't just look at, you know, um, a subsidy as a, as a, as a, you know, a zero game because it does help. It does move the dial a bit. You know, mesh networks help move the dial a bit, but mesh networks are limited in how many people they can uh, access and who can access it. And there's still going to be a cost to access it, you know. So just because this is there doesn't mean it's free. I don't know of that many services that are free. There are free wireless hotspots, but, again, those come with you have to be at a location, a library, a, you know, a coffee shop, et cetera. But that still limits people from either getting to a library or people that can't afford coffee in those neighborhoods where it's free. So, there's, you know, there's always going to be encumbrances, but um, I applaud any community that can get together and create their nodes, little uh, network. Absolutely, go hands on, power to the people. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that um, it, again, it's all it's all about looking at all the pegs. If there's a way for ten dollars to go to that community network, that's great because that just gets reinvested. Um, and if there's a way that that community network can then spread out and get repeaters around the city to get even more, that's great. Um, particularly if they don't have many challenges, you know, that come from political, you know, people or entities to do that. Um, but, you know, in the end of the day, you know, we're all going to have to try to come together a little bit more as cities and particularly urban cities because, again, in 2016 we're living in a situation where, you know, in the heart of Philadelphia, you know, we just had a Democratic National Convention. People would not have or could not have or just don't have access to the internet. So, 
communities is a good place to start, but I think we need as many entities, FCC, subsidies, whatever, to continue to um, stretch those dollars and also stretch our imagination and our coordination, our partnership to address the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bruce, do you have any sort of closing words on that? We've, we've got maybe four minutes, so we kind of a little, a little bit tight on time. Well, um, I, I think we've had a great, uh, you know, conversation today. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot to be very positive about. Uh, we do have, um, and, and I think the thing is, in the next 10 years, I don't believe we will still be talking about broadband as a unbundled conversation. I, I think, you know, again, as we've seen the pervasiveness of, of connected technology be become a part of, um, you know, where we're at the forefront of, you know, we, you know, all of the new automobiles that are coming out, they're really not hitting the mark unless people are talking about it being some type of connected car. Well, if you think 10 years from now, what a connected car experience is going to look like and how much that's going to be integrated into other forms of, devices and communications and management, then that, that's really what I'm saying is that, you know, we've had the conversations at this point about the fundamental aspect of broadband, but I think 10 years from now, we're going to have to recognize that it, it is going to become pervasive. It is going to be there and unlocking the value is going to come not just from having the connection but then having the connection applied to the reduction of things that are so uh, horrific in terms of other expenses. When you think about public safety, you think about gun violence, you think about healthcare disparities. If we could start talking about the value of these technologies in terms of saving lives, in terms of extending the quality of life, in terms of improving uh, academic outcomes, then we would quit messing around with just thinking about, oh, I've got to have a pipe. I've got to have a, a port. It, it's too valuable a, a part of a, like, like you know, we've been saying all along today, it is a layered conversation. Uh, pipes and feeds and speeds are important, but I think we can easily justify these investments when we talk about how we are going to use this to extend other goals that I think we can start to get uh, support from. But I, it is up to our community not to sit back. And, and like, uh, like Bridget said, we, we just can't have a single point of conversation, you know, around the FCC or the NTIA or is there going to be BTOP 2.0 or whatever. We've got to figure out some public-private, nonprofit, social impact, whole new business models because, again, all while we've been having this conversation, billions of dollars of, of capital have gone towards ideas like Uber, like Airbnb, like, um, you know, Snapchat. And, and a lot of that would not be possible if it were not for the very infrastructure that allows for these te- connections to create these capital market opportunities. So then uh, we need to understand, uh, but, but there needs to be, you know, just like one of the big cries, and I'll end up on this, is again, I believe it comes down to, you know, entrepreneurship, innovation, and ownership. We look at this technology community, and we don't see the kind of diversity that we should see in some of these companies, and some of these companies that are the most popular, if you look, you know, black people probably use Facebook as much or more uh, social media as much or more are skilled mm-hmm. in using it at a very high level, but then we're, we're, we're not the executives or employed in any numbers in these companies. That should be an important question to say why we need to support uh, companies like uh, uh, our own and begin to look at other ways we appropriate this technology in ways that make a difference to us and, and our community and the lives of our families and the people we care about. Uh, thank you for okay. this opportunity on this conversation today. No worries. Thanks, Bruce. And also, thank you, Bridget, for your uh, input. You know, I've known both of you for a number of years, 
And I think that the work that you are doing is very valuable. And, you know, we need to acknowledge and encourage this continued uh, effort from, from folks such as yourselves. And so I'm really appreciating the fact that you guys took some time to come over and, and, and talk to everybody about what you what you're going on, what you have going on, and also what some of your insights are. So again, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Craig. We'll thank you. you again. Nice to see you again. Uh, all righty. Take care. Bye. What if you could have a career? where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.